Hey, what's up, everybody? So we had an unplanned week off because I got super sick, but we're better now. So this week, I have a great conversation with Dr. Kalak Hong about his career and the process of going back to school to work on his memoir. This is episode 79 of Untenure Tracks. So, um, before we get into any of the the creative writing stuff, uh, I know that you on your YouTube page um, have been doing a lot of uh, vaccine education over the past year or so. Time yeah. is all kind of confusing anymore, um, and so I wanted to give you the opportunity to to plug that work and maybe talk a little bit about what that's been like for the last um, several months. So I think I kind of just started um, about 14 months ago. So end of the semester in spring 2020. And I felt like, yeah, you know, suddenly have some free time. Okay. And I've been talking about that topic uh, during classes uh, already. And it's like, well, let me just continue and do a little bit more education. So, and actually for the first six months or five months or so i i'm not noticeable at all <laughs> by all means maybe a few uh students uh, former students were following but that's about it it wasn't until like around uh thanksgiving time of last year you know started picking up some pace you know start people start um paying more attention because well the trials are done you know people are talking about, you know, rolling out the vaccines in December. So it started then to do some, you know, pace picking up. And, um, you know, the the goal, you know, original goal is just, well, let's talk about it. Let, you know, let's, let me break it down for you. You know, a lot of people, even professional, don't have enough time to read papers sometimes. So, and, and what I was doing is just, well, I, I don't put my opinion in it. But basically, I read through it, put down the facts. Here's other facts in a digest format. Um, so it, it went okay. Uh, you know, you know, starting December, there's a little bit more people watching it. Uh, you know, have a steady growth. But uh, recently, you know, having some pretty rapid growth. But uh, in part, was not really due to the fact that uh, more people are vaccinated. It actually was because more people. Are hesitant about vaccinations and they will try to seek information uh, online and uh, so and some are good question and of course there are people that are on an extreme that are a little bit uh, way more hesitant to 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 get vaccinated for COVID compared to other vaccinations and I'm trying to do some explanations in a non-judgmental way uh, basically 
you know, I, I want people to, to get vaccinated, but still, I, I always tell people, uh, you know, you have to weigh your own risk and benefit as well, you know, considering your own health conditions. Mm-hmm. So being, uh, you know, that that's the, the theme right now. And uh, on top of the, uh, you know, vaccination education, I also do a little bit extra side, side talk, uh, you know, basically, hey, this is the fact, and there is some deeper science, and if you want to learn more, or hey, there are other topics that are deeper explanations, uh, but still more gearing to a more of a lay person at this point, rather than like deep focus for like professional level type of a talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the professional folks don't need the don't need those conversations necessarily. Yeah, right now. <laughs> not necessarily. Uh, some students do watch them, and and I want to maybe keep it at a student level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean that's you're doing really important work i mean any anything we can do to get this knowledge out from behind the walls of the ivory towers <laughs> out into the world um when there's so much uh, misinformation online um you're really doing uh pretty uh, amazing <laughs> work thank you wading, uh, wading into this um <laughs> mis- misinformation is hard to fight i, I i'll tell you they're, they're hard to fight and Part of the, the problem is a lot of the misinformation were pieces of real information that got cherry picked out and misinterpreted and misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some some of them even coming from reputable scientists and 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 physicians, but their words were not entirely quoted or misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people will think, hey, so-and-so say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, should we not believe him? He's the inventor or whatever. <laughs> right? So that, that's the, that's the hard, hardest part. And I don't think uh, the, 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 the officials are uh, doing enough job to trying to, you know, um, address this problem. Even though now the recently Surgeon General missed a statement, hey, misinformation is a, is a pandemic itself. Unfortunately, there's very little thing being done in that front. Uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, sometimes maybe if a long term enough, you know, we're all safe. You know, if we're all vaccinated, we're all safe. And these misinformation may die down on itself. Maybe that's part of the strategy there. Yeah. 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 Hopefully. And we should also say we're recording this on July 20th. I think it was two days ago that on uh, a major news channel in the U.S. that has been kind of leading the charge of misinformation over over the the course of the pandemic, um, and has frequently been been um, talking about the the vaccine being kind of a conspiracy or um, just not real, uh, even though all of their employees were were required to be vaccinated, um, has now has now changed their tune. It sounds like and are going on the air and saying, please get vaccinated. So. Um, hopefully that you're right, and that that's a, another sign that this uh, very petty <laughs> and dangerous misinformation campaign is. Yeah, to it, it's up. it's hard that like, I mean, I think there there's two two groups of people like you know if you I don't like I don't I hate to group people, but it seems like a trend. There are some people that are believing in vaccine, but like hesitant about new technology. Those are understandable, and those are those can be communicated very well. Yep. And there's a group of people flat out like 
that, you know, they don't even believe the COVID pandemic. And, you know, right now they, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, even from at the diagnosis level, you know, so yeah. if they don't believe in the cases, they're not going to believe in the vaccines down the road. So those are the harder people to communicate. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, like I said, you're doing incredible stuff in the public uh, science um, and information front. Um, but we're not here to talk about <laughs> that. Sure. We are we're here to talk about your experiences in the Maslow Family Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes um, during your time at Wilkes and the work that you were able to produce there and how that's going and um, your relationship with, uh, you had the opportunity to work with um, a pretty amazing mentor that uh, I, I feel people would want to know more about what, would that, what that was like. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll do the hardest possible pivot that I can and <laughs> say, or ask, um, what what has the program meant to you during the last um, little while? I think, you know, um, well, so I, I started in June 2019, uh, you know, at the cohort, and, uh, and I, I just did the MA, I didn't continue to do the MFA, because uh, I feel like my, my passion is more just lying, you know, within the the pure writing part mm -hmm. uh, of the, the the area, and um, so I, I I wanted to do writing. You know, I, I think it, it's it's seated within me. And a uh, couple of days ago, I was you know trying to all get organized. I find out a notebook, uh, a class, the undergraduate creative writing class that I took back in two thousand six, wow. and and it was non fiction and mm -hmm. and i knew that you know i i want to write something about my life and uh you know taking uh, be a part of the the um, creative writing program I, I think the biggest part is it you know i thought i i kind of reach a plateau of growth in terms of what i do for my day job but you know being in the program actually you know I feel like, you know, scientifically speaking, it's, it created some new synapses. <laughs> it, it connected different parts of my brain. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and, it, and I was able to, you know, uh, put in something that I learned from creative writing into my daytime job. You know, I, I feel like I, I'm a lot more comfortable in writing in general. Uh, you know, I can... I, I know the structure and I'm trying to try to get a hook even with the science information and and frankly speaking that helped my script for my YouTube sometimes mm -hmm. uh, you know you know trying oh, to sure. create uh, something that that uh, that can can draw people's attention so mm -hmm. it, it meant a lot it meant a lot basically not just the the skills but also personal development yeah no that's yeah that's great it's it's been so interesting to see the ways that uh, what we learn about in the program kind of creeps into other aspects of our, our professional and personal lives. Um, so you, you had mentioned, uh, you hinted a little bit at what you worked on for your MA at Wilkes. Can you talk about that project a little bit? Um, so yeah, my project was uh, a memoir. Uh, so I, I wrote a, a manuscript of my, my memoir and it was my, basically my childhood, the first 12 years of childhood, uh, growing it of growing up in Hong Kong and then you know there's frequent visits back in Shanghai with grandparents so some of the um, you know the grow-up story interactions with the grandparents and also a little bit more on the family roots uh, you know uh, 
embedded into this uh, this first part. Uh, you know, I forgot to say the title, <laughs> but the, the title, the tentative title is Half-Life Equals 17. So it's like about 17 years of my life being concentrated in, in that the book and the first part is the 12 years and uh, another theme that kind of embedded there rather than uh, other than the family ties and and traditions but also uh how uh my my family and i you know uh traveled you know basically from my my grandparents were in uh in a village in in the um, southeast china and basically you know generationally moved out and and um, I would say trying to escape communism mm -hmm. in a way, uh, so that to finally my generations and my parents also all come to come to the U.S. Uh, so there, there's some embedded message and ex you know grandparents' experience, parents' experience, uh, and, and a little uh, distaste of the life under communism. So being embedded in there, but not not like a like real real book to to bash about certain thing but trying to just state out their their experience mm -hmm. in that um so that that's the first part uh the first part really concluded as me uh watching the the handover events you know the hong kong being handover from british mm -hmm. sovereignty to back to china in uh july um, 1st or June 30th of 1997. So I was watching it live on TV and that kind of concluded um, the, the, the story of, of part one. So part two uh, was uh, just kind of jumped at five years, was uh, began with uh, the night before I, I moved to the US. Um, and happened that night, I stayed up late and I watched Star Trek. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's an amazing show. And at that time, I didn't know Star Trek was a way big franchise, you know, way beyond that one movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it got me hooked. And I and uh, so, you know, the the first show that I TV show I picked up in the U.S. It's the, the Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> so uh, and then I how and, and um, that part two, I kind of my way of learning the U.S., you know, through high school classes, the U.S. history, reading through those, uh, I, I, it, it kind of draw, uh, I, I kind of see a lot of the, the real life history and events have some similarity to the fictional world created by uh, Gene Roddenberry. And, and uh, there are some uh, frequent, you know, Thai references of how, uh, how I see the world as my 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 experience in the new world is in the new world in the Star Trek. So, uh, you know that uh, I I I wrote about five years of my time in that part to basically uh, you know uh, concluded before I start my next journey uh, in in the pharmacy pharmaceutical science world. So mm -hmm. that's my project. Uh, so. People listening to this don't know, but I've, I've known a lot about this project for a while, and I got to see you do your reading um, when you defended your thesis. And I got to say, after a year or so of Kaz doing this book on on Star Trek, and you stand up, and I'm like, okay, it's, it's time to, to hear some Star Trek stuff. <laughs> you told the story from your memoir that had nothing to do with Star Trek at all, and sitting there like, that was really funny, but 
where's the Star Trek stuff? <laughs> where where is it? So I I got I have all these questions now for you that I've been sitting on um for what it's been six months or so seven months since. <laughs> it's it's more embedded on the part two in the part two, but then uh, during the read I I I read the part one of it. So <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just curious. So like what and you 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 touched on a lot of this um kind of on your top down summary about uh sort of you are exploring this new world and you are you have this show that's about this similar kind of, of theme um are there specific characters or episodes that you remember like really gravitating to um when you were younger that that kind of acted as a, almost a framework for i i think you know like in star trek there's different species of aliens and there's certainly there's the 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 cultural shock you know sometimes and sometimes even out you know full-blown war between different species and a lot of the time it's just misunderstanding you know you know you're not embracing another one's you know uh you know culture or traditions and the shocking piece i think is certainly there when i first come to us the the moment that i stepped foot on you know in the jfk airport there's the people are big, <laughs> way bigger than I ever anticipated. You watch them on TV, okay, but in real life, it's big and it's intimidating. Just, you know, they could be a, the gentle, most gentle soul, you know, deep down, but a lot of the time, you're just looking at the people that, that shocked me. And that's happening in many, you know, uh, Star Trek episodes, you know, just because of they, they look fearful, you know, doesn't mean they are, they are, you know, they are scary. But so that there's some type of a you know similarity there, um, and and learning the way of things are done in the U.S. You know, you know, very very um, different. And so I, I came like I, I came to U.S. like 17. It's right on the edge, you know, trying to growing up between you know a teenager moving into young adulthood and. And, you know, starting to pick up a lot of new skills, you know, driving and, and being, you know, representing my family because they don't speak much of English. So, um, and this whole new experience, it's it metaphorically speaking is a new experience in going into a new world, exploring the space. Uh, you know, you, 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 I, I remember there's a, a small chapter that I I. I talk about how I learned driving. Most of Americans learn drive, how to drive from their parents. Well, I do the opposite. I teach my parents how to drive. So, <laughs> so I learned from a, 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 a driving instructor. So, and, and the moment that, you know, that I first drive is the f very first time I drive. And the, the accelerations, the, the pull, you know, it kind of felt like it was like, driving a spaceship in a, in a way of speaking you know you know going through highway the first time you know you're riding a car it and compared to driving it's completely different you know you you you're responsible for your speed suddenly uh and how fast you move so uh and and that that's the the the, the physical part of of the the new experience and then and much of it is it's you know learning the culture uh, you know, you know, American, you know, it's very heterogeneous. It's, you know, you can't say American, it's this, because yeah. no, there's no, no general <laughs> consensus for that. And I realized that, um, and, and, you know, learning different, you know, 
subcultures and also um yeah it's 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 just fascinating the the whole experience uh and that it's like the star trek to me traveling yeah in 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 a way so it's not it's not uh particularly one episode or two mm-hmm. but it's like a overall theme of new experience and i do mm-hmm. have free you know small ties every chapter or so goes into it not like strictly describing a chapter or of any, or with an episode uh if there's anything you know that's really a, a more direct tie i think it's more like uh, i try to describe myself put myself in 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 a role of a uh in the role of data mm-hmm. okay mr data uh from the star trek tng and where he he was really he just learning the way to be human mm-hmm. and i am learning my way to be american in some way i'll never be fully american but but in a way of understanding a little bit more every day yeah and just yeah. like him he tried to understand to be a human uh, a little bit more every day yeah yep. yeah and and it seems like on the show data's two extremes right when he uh uh flirts with humanity he either becomes uh incredibly violent <laughs> or he becomes just like i don't know a comedian but a but a not very good one <laughs> and is is just yeah. laughing constantly and those are, are are two extremes and thinking of it from the lens of like learning to be an american we are <laughs> very violent and very goofy i guess yeah <laughs> and and sometimes you know there also uh you know, I, I think I draw more most from the TNG series. Uh, and also there's the Borg phrase, resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in some way, I, I want to resist. I want to preserve my culture, preserve the way of m- m- the way my ancestor lives. Uh-huh. You, know, you know, like in particular, I, I think food culture is something that I always resist as much as I could. And I will not be assimilated that easily. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so, so that is one area that that you know, um, it's just just you know, I, I'm resisting. Yeah. You know, uh, but my my son is not resisting very well sometimes. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, yep. <laughs> Sociologically, that is that is the path of the migrant family. <laughs> Subsequent generations become more and more uh, assimilated, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's a resistant futile maybe in some for you ways. for your family less so <laughs> if you're fortunate enough to be a grandfather one day then yeah you're gonna you get to be the the grandpa uh who has memories from from the old country who has some some idiosyncrasies and some quirks that you're hanging on to and that's just grandpa Ka. he's just just yeah. let him be <laughs> and um it also like another part of it, the part two is the, you know, the, I, I, I major in, in pharmacy, pharmaceutical science and, and my, my passion for science, it's, um, it, it has been there for a long time. So, you know, yeah, the, during the high school, early years of undergrad, you know, there's also the, you know, the, I have some descriptions with, uh, you know, learning the science and, in and, and there's, uh, a part of it, I, I kind of draw analogies. 
Here we're talking in English, okay? So we have to learn a specific language to communicate,、mm-hmm. uh, or have a, some type of a translator.、Um, but in, in a sense, in science, I can draw a C, and you know we don't need to talk, and people know science would know this is carbon immediately. And also, in a way, science or chemistry, those are very universal, general language. The 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 gravity works the same everywhere on Earth, okay.、Uh, so so part of the 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 early communication was you know science and in a when I first met my high school chemistry teacher and and we knew each other just by writing a few chemical equation and she know how much I know and and about chemistry and 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 that really like it like an instant connection without talking even too much at all so. Uh, that is another part of the、um, the thing is maybe imagine one day if there were some real alien out there you know very well the chemistry work very similar we know that hydrogen exists far away you know in the corner of a galaxy that their hydrogen is the same hydrogen we have so we could probably communicate just based on chemistry. Now physics, I'm not so sure. <laughs> we don't. We ha- we are pretty limited on physical physics knowledge. I feel like. Yeah.、Sometimes. But but the the chemical、uh, the fundamental elements of the universe or the galaxy are the same. So that that's that's a, a universal thing. So that's also、um, part of the thing that I kind of developed as I was writing. I didn't think about too much beforehand, but you know, there's a lot of new things that I. I As I write and I thought about it at the same time, yeah, yeah, I know that's really cool. Like, I mean, we obviously are living in a in a world that is going through. I don't want to say unprecedented division because certainly things have been worse, but it's bad right now. And so, anything that we can that we can draw on、um, to find some kind of commonality, I think, is good. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, finding ways to use science and kind of treat science almost. Poetically,、um, to find ways to to break down some of those those barriers、um, and those borders that have been thrown up.、Um, so I'm tempted to ask to like just geek out a little bit about Star Trek, but I, I will keep it professional for now.、Um, you had the you had the privilege of working with Dr. Mike Lennon,、um, who is one of the co-founders of the of the program. He is a former、uh, Mister Everything at Wilkes.、<laughs> um, What was what was that like working with Dr. Lennon? I think、um, I work very well with him. Particularly, he has,、uh, you know, he's being in academia. He 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 knows、uh, the the life of being a faculty member. So he really works with my schedule、um, very well. He understands there are times that I'm busy that I just cannot. Do the work that I need to do in a in a in in the supposed timely manner, but he knows that I'll get things done because、yeah. we all get things done by the deadline.、Yes. Uh, so by that line, I'll suddenly have poops of things come out like boom, like that. <laughs> there are five chapter one weekend. Yeah, <laughs> no, not that many, but but you know,、uh, you know, and he worked. He he tried to accommodate that. He 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 never really.、Uh, Like like rush me. Hey, where's this? Where's this? And he uh, and uh, we have a mutual respect on on that.、Uh, you know, so I work very well with him. And he's also 
um, very knowledgeable about um, uh, many things, you know, writings and all these. And, and you know, I hate to say, but I, I still struggle with writing even after that, you know, particularly some grammatical things that, that I don't know I'll ever get over with. And he would still work with me. He normally wouldn't work with people with basic grammatic things, but he'll still work with me. I'll tell you what that is. That's the past perfect tense. I still don't understand completely well of past perfect tense. <laughs> I get it about 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I in, in one of the reflections that I wrote for at the end of a term, I said like, you know, it's it's uh, I perceive time differently. <laughs> How Chinese language perceive time and yeah. English language perceive time differently. Um, yeah, so that's, that, really, that's, that's really interesting though, right? And like that's another because when you're talking about things that affect all of us, um, like one thing I talk about in my classes is that that's time, like time affects all of you. One day you'll wake up and your knee will hurt and you won't know why, <laughs> or your back will hurt and you'll look in the mirror. And I know it sounds depressing, but it's, but it's true. Like everybody, everybody gets older. Um, but thinking about that linguistically, that, that different languages perceive time differently is so interesting. Um, and I imagine then is like another bridge into to other science fiction work too, right? Yeah. So, um, so overall, you know, uh, Mike, he, he's been a great mentor and um, I, I don't think I'll find anyone better than him in the program. For me, specifically for my, for, for what I, mm -hmm. my, my backgrounds and, and the way that I want to work on a project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we should, we should also say, so I've, I have mentioned this a few times in these interviews already that the, the graduate program at Wilkes is really um, rare. <laughs> right. Um, in terms of the flexibility of mentors and advisors to work with you. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you and I have both been through several different graduate programs and it's just not like that right there. This, the flexibility of deadlines and the, the willingness to understand kind of the life circumstances that people have. Um, mm -hmm. Wilkes faculty appreciate that completely. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other, Particularly other like, Half of our time was under pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like we had one term of normal term and then, and then suddenly like it was all like the full year basically yes. was, was pandemic time and had, had to do with that side and then writing a manuscript. Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You no. know how, what I mean. I mean, oh, we, yeah, we've no. been through the same time. Yep. Yeah, we had the, the, well, not the exact same, but a very similar experience, right? Where uh, our university, like many universities, this is not a Wilkes specific thing, but the sense was that we'll be gone for two weeks and everything will be okay. And I remember telling my students in my classes that, that last day, um, like, don't worry, it's, everything's going to be okay. Uh, go home and just relax for a couple of weeks and I'll see you at the beginning of April or whatever it was going to be. Um, and then I didn't teach in front of an audience again until <laughs> this past writing residency when I had to um, defend my craft paper um, well over a year. And it was so having to having to make that shift online um, while also completing our, our, our work and our, our actual work. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, yeah. and try to keep students from, um, from, from kind of becoming too overwhelmed um, mm. and, and keep trying to figure out what our university is doing. Um, yes. Yeah trip <laughs> so. but i think being a student during this time you know even though it's it's a different program but give me some perspective on my students and you know mm -hmm. I, I i would be more understanding for them because i'm in the same boat i have things that are due and i know yeah. you have live you have things to do so i, I think give me a given different perspective uh uh for them yeah definitely. yeah yeah me as well um across across the board, just how I, how I think of my career and where my priorities are, right? Uh, spending a year doing, where my, my main job was um, uh, online first grade <laughs> for, for a, a year, um, that changes your perspective on stuff. And yeah, <laughs> I'll just leave yeah. it at that. I'll leave it at that. So uh, have you been able to come back to the project at all? Um, since you, since no, you, like, I think the last time, no, not really. Last time I, I checked on <laughs> open the file was way back, you know, right, you know, at the last, not the last one, but the January mm -hmm. residency. I think that was the last time I, I did something, make some note to it. Um, but you know, I have a habit of thinking about a lot of things and then after I, I, I think I have enough and I'll start doing some revisions or writing even when I when it's the first draft. So uh, I haven't been stopped thinking about it for the past six, seven months. Uh, I just not physically do anything with it, uh, yeah. anything with it. So I've yeah. been thinking about, you know, revision chapters, maybe, you know, you know, through conversation with my life, hey, that's something interesting happened in my life. I just never talked about it. I could add another chapter if I have to, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, some fun things, uh, yeah. how I got chubby, you know, things like that, in my passion for food. But but I don't know if it fits a fit theme, but it could certainly add on to a little bit. And also mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more... Um, uh, family roots, you know, a, a little bit more character development. I, I feel like writing a memoir, it's it's very easy to go all about you because mm -hmm. it's, your, it's your story. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of about me and there are other important characters like my maternal grandmother, but uh, perhaps she could get a little bit more development, you know, a little bit more her backstory just fill in a little bit more um mm -hmm. uh to 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 bring the things a little bit more in circle um so been thinking about all the all these um i think the harder part is how how do i fit that part into the original story how much of the rearrangement rephrasing that i need to do i think that is the toughest part just like we do manuscript you know for scientific publication we, we put out now and then it the reviewers say, "Hey, add this. Like, mm, how do I add this back?" Right. <laughs> so that, that that's a that is the more difficult part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the realization that thinking about writing counts counts as writing, and thinking about editing counts as editing was one of my biggest takeaways from this program. Um, <laughs> I yeah. didn't I didn't know that we were allowed to to claim that, but it's true. Um, and so for Ready students watching or listening to this, I would I would say right now, if you're thinking about writing, 
that counts as writing. Um, you don't have to write every day if it doesn't fit your process and your style. Because um, I, I don't write every day. Um, no, I, I, I can't. I it's, just, it's just not possible for me. Um, well, I just say, like, when the deadline comes, I have to write every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were, like, about a month or so before it's, it's the, the wrapped up time, I think I wrote every night about mm -hmm. two, three hours or so. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, I usually just, you know, write on a weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a bulimic writer. <laughs> like I would be writing, sitting down in front of the computer, just like spit out 3,000 words at one time, like a whole chapter, and then not writing for two weeks. Yep. Uh, but the reason that I could spit out two hundred, uh, like like a whole chapter at once, because I've been thinking about it for yep. two weeks. So that that's another thing. Yeah. No, that's I'm the same way. I I tried writing every day, and it just doesn't work. And I get frustrated because I'm not happy. Um, but taking time to kind of recharge those batteries and uh, consume other stuff and kind of have other experiences while while thinking about what I want to write or edit, then kind of has those those moments, right? Where I I can even say it. At two fifteen this morning, uh, when I couldn't sleep, I uh, had one of those like eureka! I have an idea for a screenplay <laughs> moments. I uh, grabbed my phone, opened up Google Docs, and and typed out this like very quick um, synopsis, <laughs> and it was and it was there. And I'm excited to see uh, where this idea <laughs> goes. Um, but I haven't I have not written anything. Um, in a few weeks um, until this. So, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to write every day. Um, some people can, and that's fantastic. I am, I envy you, but not for, not for folks like Ha and I. <laughs> I think it's just the laziness sometimes in me. <laughs> like if it is not due, there's no deadline, well, let's, let's hold it there. <laughs> but if there's a real deadline, I'll definitely get it done and I'll push myself. <laughs> That's that's I think it's my working habit. Like I do the same thing for for job job too. Like there's a deadline, I'll get it done. No yeah. deadline. Mm. Yeah, because it just doesn't seem like it matters. Yeah. Right. Um, the deadline adds a level of gravity to it. <laughs> like okay, I should that's probably. Right. Yeah, like like lecture. There's a lecture coming up. Like you gotta prepare. Like what are you gonna do if you don't prepare? Like just go empty hand into the lecture like no like you would be embarrassed to yourself so so that you know the that thought you know really pushed you know pushed me to to get things done yeah that's funny because i i have gone into lectures where i'm like what do i want to do today but i think what i teach about and what you teach about are so different that i have that i have that flexibility to kind of say well we have two topics today uh what do we feel like doing where you know teaching pharmacy is, is probably more requires more structure to it <laughs> yeah yeah well the, basically our, our syllabus and schedule is put in there it's, it's there and like unless there's a snowstorm or something <laughs> yeah. a pandemic or something yeah, right? pandemic so, or something is completely random like that and happens to throw everybody's schedules um completely off um okay so let's talk about star trek uh some more Oh, so you, you talked about data and you, you admired data and, and viewed him as, um, as, a, as a proxy to your, your own experiences moving to the U.S. as a young man. Um, I'm curious, uh, just as a fan of the, of the franchise, like what are, 
what other characters do you like? Are there, um, I know the, the, the Star Trek movies historically are, uh, let's say, hit different. or miss. <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah. There's a they're, different tone to it. A, a different tone, right? And from, um, from the original series um, and, and some of the, the, the next generation stuff, and then even recently, right, with some of the, the reboot, but not really a reboot kind of. Con universe. continuation i would say some <laughs> expansions of the universe yeah yeah um what what are what characters do you enjoy like what what movies are like what what's your favorite star trek stuff in star trek you mean yeah 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 okay um i think the think the part that drawing me most i wouldn't say uh, other than data you know there i have a little less attachment to characters so um, when when Data died in two thousand two, movie, uh, I was devastated. You know, like I was just so upset. And he came back very recently. Have a full conclusion conclusions to his story. I feel that was a nice conclusion with the the latest um, online series on, on 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 the online platform i don't want to say the name but you know that uh uh so so that was a good conclusion and but in um i in general i i like the the vulcan mm -hmm. species that they created um i think i want to be vulcan vulcan you know in a way of speaking um because they they aren't inherently emotional violent but they learn their way to suppress that maybe too much sometimes but in a way to overcome their biggest weakness mm -hmm. you know to achieve a next level i think that is very hard i you know everyone has their weakness or areas that need to improve um and i admire that vulcan way of living not that i want to practice you know i cannot live without emotion i would have to laugh and smile but maybe sometimes not let emotion drive you so much you know that impulse that instinct like you get angry everyone get angry but you add on that anger or you just sit down a little bit swallow a little bit you know and think about it an hour later a day later maybe you have a different perspective and i think that's to me that's the way of vocal living and i really i i try to practice it all the time like don't get hot-headed right away you know in the scene you gotta you have to be angry but just just hold on a little bit maybe tomorrow you think differently and many times it does many times it does and it's it not like that i just swallow the pill it's just it the next day i think a little more logically you know maybe there's a reason for things happen and um and it calmed me down a little bit. I, I was a very emotional kid. You know, I, I got angry all the time. I, I, not that I get into fight, but I would mad cry, you know, all the time when I was a kid. And I, and to learn more about controlling some, some of the impulses helped. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a part of it that I, I, I think a lot of people do it. Not that you have to watch Star Trek to do it. Yeah. Although, as the, that's the way of growing. You probably learn it. Many people will learn that. Uh, but it's, it's knowing Vulcan, knowing Star Trek, mm -hmm. 
confirms my beliefs. That, you know, that, that has a, a drive, makes me more want to be, you know, holding on my impulses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the biggest you know, cultural aspect or personality mm-hmm. aspect that I like about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's being Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm curious. So uh, did you, you must have gone back and watched the original series at some point. I, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what was that experience like for you after, because you came into it with the next generation first. Yeah. The original series so- is so aesthetically different and just written. It's just a different, a different animal altogether. Yeah, the original series, I think sometimes I have a harder time to draw connections. It was written in a very different time when, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the, you know, from what I know about U.S. history, it was a time where it, well, there's no segregation, but there's segregation type of yes. situations. And I, I think the biggest um, monumental thing happened in the original series where Uhara kisses Captain Kirk on screen, mm-hmm. which is like unheard of, you know, mm-hmm. a black actor and a white actor kids on the screen. I think that 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 was certainly a very bold move and they were able to, you know, do it and, and on screen. And I think that really breaks a lot of norm at that time. And so I, I think the original one really um, has a lot of culture, like way more cultural aspect than the more recent series more more recent there yes there is you know having mm. um female lead character ha- having you know um uh colored female lead characters they are certainly breaking a lot of norm in that aspect but not i don't think it's as pronounced as back then mm. um because right now we a lot of people accept those concepts back then was very few people accept those concepts so there's a cultural shift there uh, and I think they pioneered that that um, way of doing cultural shift in t- on TV. You know, um, you know, using a utopia future world to to try to make connections to the real world. And maybe that's something that we should do in the future, or like you know, that's not big a deal. Um, so I I think they 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 pioneer that. That is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was. Um... Yeah, that's part of what I was I was hoping that you would talk about, right? Because the the original series was so much more, or at least is talked about more idealistically, I think, than um, pretty much any of the more recent stuff. Even Next Generation didn't do um, well. I guess their political allegory was more obvious, <laughs> right? Um, than than maybe some of the the earlier stuff was. Um, it's just two different two different shows and like my my experience was like i came into it with the next generation first but my father was a, a major fan of the original series and also um aspired to be vulcan <laughs> so but i would i remember trying to watch some of those when i was a kid and thinking like this is just i don't get it <laughs> i didn't get it um and especially the movie right the the first star trek movie is Oh, the first few was was very difficult to comprehend, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think I've taken up a lot of your time, and we we've tapped um, everything uh, to talk about this morning, Ka. So I want to thank you um, for, oh, for taking time. 
um, to come on and do this with us and talk about talk about the writing program in Star Trek. Okay, I, I hope I give enough uh, information. I I mean, I, I enjoy this talk. Yes. For more on tenure tracks, please go to untenured.space to access our archives or go to patreon.com slash untenured to help support us.